Well, good morning. It's good to see each of you here today. And let me just say a couple of things before I begin. Um, first of all, I just want to say how, uh, and really to encourage you, but how encouraged I am every week I come here. Uh, part of that is because of you people. I mean, I just think of the ways in which you people are uh, an amazing group of people that God has brought together. But I also think about um, what God has been doing here. Uh, I said to the folks who are here at the 9.30 service that as I looked around at, at the, the number of people who were here at 9.30, that was about the number of people that were at Main Street Baptist Church on my first Sunday as pastor 20 years ago. So imagine our church today with none of you people here. That would be the size of our church. Um, God has done some great things. He reminds me as I look out at you today that most of you don't remember when I came to be the pastor 20 years ago. Most of you don't even remember being the pastor at all because that ended 10 years ago. God has been doing great things and it's just exciting. So I'm so encouraged, so thankful for what God is doing, thankful for our pastors, thankful for you people. Uh, it's exciting. I want to say secondly that... Uh, I just want to talk briefly about Acadia Divinity College because different times people will say to me, what do you do anyway? Like, are you retired? Do you do anything now? Um, and the truth is, life is pretty busy. Uh, Acadia Divinity College is our seminary, our school for training future leaders in, the, in, in, in our churches. Uh, in the Baptist Convention here in, in Atlantic Canada, about 85% of all the pastors have our graduates of Acadia Divinity College. They receive their training for ministry at our school. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have a number of uh, students who are Pentecostal, who are Wesleyan, and a number of students, smaller numbers of students from other uh, backgrounds as well. So we train a lot of people. We have about 200 students currently who are in some process of learning how to give leadership in the Church of Jesus Christ. And that is a very different task than it would have been a generation ago because we know at Acadia Divinity College that training leaders for the future is going to be very different from what it was like to train leaders in the past. The types of leaders, the types of skills, the types of things they need to know and understand in order to lead the church in the 21st century are quite different from what was needed in the 20th century. We live in a different world, in a different society, and the ways in which the church needs to be reaching out and being witnesses in our communities has changed. So I say all that really to say two things to you. First of all, um, as a church, you support us, and we appreciate that, so thank you for the support that you give to us. We, we rely on financial support from lots of churches in order to have tuition that people who will be going into ministry are able to afford. The second thing I would say is please pray for us, and I know that many of you do, but please pray for us because what we do is, is not just education, if I can put it that way. We are a school, yes, but we really are seeking to do what God has called us to do so that the church can do what God has called the church to do. And so we, we really uh, would appreciate your prayers. We know that uh, we need to be training more people than we're currently training. Uh, the baby boomers who are leading in churches are going to be retiring in the next few years. 
we need to be training far more people than we're currently training in order to meet the need for leadership that there is and will be in the church. So pray for us in that area that God will, will lead, will call and lead people to come to us to train for ministry. And finally, we are in the midst of, in the midst of everything else we're doing, we're in the midst of major changes to our building in Wolfville. It was built in 1968 and it's getting old. And so we knew that some things had to be done in terms of the exterior of the building. Uh, when bricks start falling, uh, it's not a good sign. It shows that we need to do some work. So that's a major project for us to completely redo the building. But of course, once you get a contractor in and uh, they start looking at your building and start talking about things like building codes, turns into trouble because there were things that weren't needed in 1968 that are in the building code now. For example, we don't have to put a, an entirely new stairwell into our building. Um, they seem to think it's a problem that we have asbestos in our ceilings. Uh, so there are things that all have to be changed as well. So it's a big thing in the midst of us seeking to carry the mission God has given to us. But we're doing those things too because we want to be there in the long term. We want to be there to do what God has called us to do. So pray for us and thank you for your support. looking in 1st John chapter 1 today and I'm just going to read a few verses starting at verse 3 and this is John who had been with Jesus as one of the disciples he's writing to the church and he says we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ we write this to make our joy complete this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. I'm not sure how many times you said the word fellowship during the last week. I'm guessing not often. If you want someone at work or at school to think that you're really strange, try using a sentence with the word fellowship in it. Ask your classmates if they've enjoyed any good fellowship lately. Say to one of your coworkers that, you'd like some fellowship with them. You know, that'll make them start backing away from you. It's a church word. It's one of those words that makes us sound like we're about 200 years old when we say it. But there's a reason. The reason it's not used outside of the church is not because the concept is out of date or old-fashioned. It's because it describes something that really is unique to Christians and that is difficult to fully understand outside of the church. It describes a new way of relating to one another as Christians because we see one another differently. It describes the way that God sees us, the, God, the way that God relates to us. It describes the way He wants us to see and to relate to one another. The image here in 1 John chapter 1 is pretty clear. 
Before we were Christians, it's like we were living in the dark, completely in the dark. We thought we understood life. We made decisions and judgments based on what we thought was true, based on what we could understand from our experience and from what other people taught us. But when we are walking in the dark, we miss things, important things. When we look at others from the darkness of our lives, we think we're better than other people. Or maybe we think other people are better than we are. Because based on our own best judgment, that's the way it appears to our limited understanding. And so when we read in the Bible that we should not judge others, well, that just sounds crazy. How will we live life if we don't make judgments about whether other people are good or bad? So not judging others becomes a very difficult command for us to follow. Probably an impossible command for many people. Because we so clearly see the sins of other people. We see their shortcomings. We see the ways they disappoint us and let us down. Jesus described it as being like seeing a speck in someone else's eye. I mean, we see that. We see the faults of others so clearly. And even in the church, we can forget to walk in the light sometimes. But the Bible says that if we walk in the light, if our life is lived in the light of who God is, if our perspective is changed by the understanding of life that God has, if we see life the way that God sees it, the way He wants us to see life, then everything changes. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. The word fellowship there is a translation of a Greek word, koinonia. It's a word that means something much more than just friendship or companionship. It's more than just a bunch of Christians getting together. The biblical word refers to things like partnership and, and joint participation, and, and it really is focusing on the common spirituality that we share. And the early Christians led by Jesus' first disciples, like John, understood the importance of that fellowship, that koinonia, because the disciples had learned it from Jesus himself. They learned it from the way that Jesus had related with them. They learned it not so much from Jesus' teaching, but from the way that Jesus lived and from the way that Jesus saw people. And there are several examples of this in the Gospels. Take, for example, the way that the disciples had always seen the Samaritan people. Now, the Samaritans were a group of people who lived in an area between the disciples' homes in Galilee and Jerusalem. Because of the Samaritans' past, because they did not follow all of the Old Testament laws, their religion was a little different from other people's, because their ancestry was questionable, they were judged. They were judged to be people to avoid 
people who are not as good as other people, people to be looked down on. So much so that when good people traveled from Jerusalem to Galilee, often instead of going the short route through Samaria, they would decide to go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to come in contact with those people. So according to the story we read in John chapter 4, it probably surprised the disciples that Jesus decided that they had to travel through Samaria on their way home to Galilee. And it was at midday, it was lunchtime. They're in the region of Samaria, and the disciples left Jesus to go buy some food. And Jesus begins talking with a Samaritan woman. What's, what's, what's interesting is that even the Samaritan woman thought this was strange. Why are you talking to me? She was shocked that Jesus would bother with someone like her. And when the disciples returned, they were shocked to see him wasting his time in conversation with a Samaritan woman. In their minds, a lowlife. Why was he hanging around with, well, the wrong crowd? But Jesus saw in that woman someone that the disciples did not see. He saw a woman who was ready not only to become a devoted follower of Jesus, but who was also willing to go and bring all of her friends to Jesus. The disciples were focused on one thing. It was lunchtime and they were hungry. They didn't care about some Samaritan woman wasting their time. They were living in the darkness. They were not seeing what Jesus was seeing. So Jesus said to them, Open your eyes. Open your eyes. He says, Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even, thou knows, even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now they harvest the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Open your eyes, Jesus says. The disciples saw a woman of questionable background, someone they judged not to be worth their bother. Jesus saw a woman of great worth to God who was ready to believe and who would share the good news of Jesus with all of her community. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of her testimony. Jesus saw what the disciples didn't see. We see the same thing when large crowds of people were following Jesus. For the disciples, it seemed that the crowd meant one of two things. Sometimes the crowds were a bother. The disciples thought Jesus was too busy for people who were bringing their small children to him or people who were yelling for Jesus to help them. It was a bother. But at other times... The disciples rather liked the fame of having the crowds follow. They were celebrities, or at least they were friends of a celebrity. That's not how Jesus saw the crowds. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, the Bible says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The disciples saw other people as a bother. 
or as those who could do something for them. Jesus saw people differently. He saw them as people he highly valued. As people who were the victims of the sinfulness of this world and unable to save themselves. If we see people the way that Jesus does, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we see the kingdom of God, the plan of God to bring life and hope to people, then we will not see people as a bother. And we will not see them only in terms of their value to us. We will see them as victims of the sinfulness of this world. And we will see the eternal value that they have as God's creations. And we will see them as worthy of our love and of our time. You see, when we follow Jesus by faith, we begin to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. We see ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. We see people in the church the way that Jesus sees other people in his church. We see our neighbors the way Jesus sees the people around us in our city. We begin to get a glimpse of how God is working. And it's often not the way that we think he's working. Throughout his ministry, Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of God. The way that God's righteous rule is taking shape in the midst of the sinfulness of the world in which we live. Jesus told several stories, parables, to help us to understand what the kingdom of God is like. And those parables illustrate over and over that God works in unexpected ways. God works in the lives of unexpected people. God reaches out in mercy and in grace and in forgiveness when we because we often judge people, are not always willing to be so gracious because we don't see them as God sees them. The story in John chapter 3 demonstrates the extent of the change that's required in our understanding of the world around us. A Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee whose name was Nicodemus, came to Jesus one night to meet him and to ask about Jesus' teaching. Jesus had a blunt response for that religious leader. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see how God is at work without being born again. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Now, we've become used to that phrase, born again. But think of the shock it must have been to Nicodemus when he heard those words. Jesus was saying to him, you can't even see what God is doing. You can't see how God is at work. You can't see God's kingdom, God's plan of action, unless you start your life over completely. All of your religion... All of your good works are just getting in the way. Those things are keeping you in the dark. Those things are keeping you from knowing God and seeing God at work. It was a hard lesson for Nicodemus to accept. You see, if we focus on our good works, it just leads us to judge and criticize others and become proud, or else it discourages us when we realize we keep failing. 
So Jesus emphasizes that the Christian life must be more than just doing things. More than just going to church on Sunday, more than just doing good deeds. It is a spiritual life. It's a life that's open to God's Spirit working in us in whatever way God wants. Not necessarily the way that we want, the way that we try to control God and get Him to do what we would like. It's a spiritual life that we experience by being willing by faith to allow God to change us on the inside in whatever ways He wants so that we will see God's kingdom. We will see God at work in the midst of the troubled world in which we live. That change begins when we first make the decision to believe and follow Jesus. He said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, That verse has become so familiar to us, perhaps, that we miss the shock that it must have been to Nicodemus. The Pharisees had devoted their lives, Nicodemus had devoted his life to following all of the religious rules and doing what was right. It was about working hard to impress God with their religion, their goodness. And Jesus, in that one verse, that one sentence, ruins that whole idea by telling Nicodemus that it's not about earning God's favor. It's about faith. It's about life-changing faith, trusting God so much that we believe Him and we begin to see the world the way that He sees the world. Eternal life is for those who believe in Jesus. It's about faith. That means letting go of our efforts to convince ourselves that we're good enough for God and being born again, beginning a new life that Jesus says is essential if we're going to see life the way that God sees life. And once we become Christians, it doesn't stop there. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 18, the Bible says... That once we believe and as we continue to follow Jesus, the presence of God's Spirit in our lives continues to make things clearer for us. The Bible says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil, that old religious way of understanding, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not rules, not institutional religion, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, one translation says, with our eyes wide open, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, how well do you see? Are you walking in the light or are you still in the darkness? 
Do we see the world around us the same way that most people do? There's work to be done. There's money to be made. There are busy lives to live. There are difficult people to navigate. There are plans to be carried out. That's how most people see life. Or do we see the kingdom of God? Do we see the way that God in His perfect righteousness and goodness and in His grace and mercy and love is at work in this fallen, troubled world and in this church of imperfect people and in each of our lives. We are called to walk in the light as God is in the light. That is why Jesus invited all of us to be born again so that we see what God is doing in this world. And when that happens, we see people differently. Instead of criticizing and judging those around us, we see people who are troubled and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, because that's what Jesus sees when he sees our neighbors, when he sees our classmates, when he sees our co-workers, when he sees our relatives, when he sees the people that we think are enemies. Jesus sees them differently and he calls us to see them the way that God sees them. When we look around us in the church, we see the imperfections in other people and in ourselves that are all too obvious to us. But when we walk in the light, in the light of who God is and what He has done, then we experience something that only God can do. We experience, well, that koinonia, that spiritual fellowship that only God can produce. And it's not based on any of our human distinctiveness. It's not based on our culture. It's not based on our race or our economic circumstances or our age or our background or our education or our opinions. It's based on what we all have in common. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. We share that in common. We have all sin no matter who we are. And as those who have put our faith in Jesus, we have all experienced his forgiveness. We share that common life that is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. We see one another differently. We treat one another differently. We forgive one another because we know that we have been forgiven. We walk in the light. That's the life that the Bible calls us to. A life that leaves the darkness of our own thinking. Leaves the darkness of our own judgments. And sees other people. Sees the church. Sees the world. The way that God does. 
A life that sees the world in light. That sees the world in grace. That sees the world in gospel. In light of the the, the life-transforming message of Jesus. That sees the world in freedom. That's the life that God offers to us. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that you change everything in our lives when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we see life differently. We see the world differently because of what you've done in us. You've taken us out of the darkness of our own thinking, our own ways of understanding. And you help us to see the world the way that you do. You help us to see other people as you see them with your love and with your grace and with your forgiveness and with your mercy and with your message of hope. Help us that we would see the world as you do, that we would see other people as you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.